following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 19, Personal Pilot Limitations, Flying with a CFI, First Impressions of the Cirrus SR-22, Single Pilot Resource Management, Red Tails the Movie, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri and Len Costa. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 19 of the Stuck Mike Abcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show tonight, as always, is the usual group of aviation misfits, starting first with Carl Valeri. Carl, how's it going, my friend? Oh, it is a wonderful evening. I just uh, got to fly for three hours. I'm here in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm right now overlooking the arch in St. Louis. It's beautiful. It's all lit up here at night and uh, was able to get all psyched up for this uh, podcast by going down to the History Museum in St. Louis, but found out that the uh, Spirit of St. Louis, well, it's the only thing left there. They actually pulled the Lindbergh exhibit from the the museum, but they said they promised they're going to put it back in there, but boy, (laughs) no other way to get psyched about aviation than looking at the actual, or one of the replicas of the Spirit of St. Louis. Right on. All right. (laughs) Excellent. Victoria, what's going on, girl? I just moved, and I cannot find my favorite microphone, and I'm not oh. very happy about it. Well, which hopefully you don't have to do too much speaking today. Hey! <laughs> People like to hear my voice. I meant because you said you're holding, and you're holding a microphone. I, want I am. I'm holding this tiny little thing between my pinky Ma- and my you know, thumb. Wow. A piece of duct tape on the chin, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, I got a visual. <laughs> oh, boy. Rick, my friend, what's yes. going on? Uh, everything's good here in uh, Boston, and uh, happy to be doing another show. It's been a Excellent. little while. Excellent. And I'm yeah. back down in the lower 48. We're podcasting from the Stuck Mike Avcast World Studios here in the Washington, D.C. area. Nice. And, uh, yeah, why don't we go ahead and get started? We've got quite a few announcements today. Let's do the pre-flight. Carl actually has two announcements. Carl, tell us, uh, you got a special letter from the FAA. Not a naughty one, but a good one. <laughs> I was going to say, uh-oh. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Finally, it's not a naughty one. But no, actually, I, I just got my appointment uh, with the uh, Tampa FISDO as uh, one of their aviation uh, safety representatives. So now I'm actually not just one of those people that get up there and talk on stage. I'm actually one of the folks that actually schedules those events that you go to at the FAA Wings program. Wow, cool. So, Finish that up. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Actually, this is a second time around for me. They made me. uh, They made everybody actually reapply and start over. So it's. uh, I'm excited to do it. I've been doing it since. uh, Let's see, 2000. I think is when I started with them, and so it's been a lot of fun. And the second announcement I have, which is even more exciting, is that we're going to be live at uh, Sun and Fun Radio at uh, Sun and Fun March 27th. April 1st this year, and it's going to be in the afternoon, probably around 3 or 4-ish is when we're going to be there live, and I'll be uh, actually volunteering there. So if anybody's there and wants to stop by and say hi, I'll have my Stuck Mike Avcast t-shirt on. Say hello. Woohoo! Yeah, I look forward to that. That's, That's going to be big, I haven't yep. been to Sun and Fun yet, so this will be my first. That's right. my favoriteest place. Cool. Favorite. <laughs> favoriteest. The favoriteest. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Victoria, tell us what's the, the, the progress on Fly It Forward. So many things have been going on in the last few weeks. Tell us uh, what's, what's new and what's old. Oh, my goodness. All right. Can you believe some people think that women aren't interested in aviation? Because be. I had to cut off registration. We've had no. such an overwhelming amount of girls wanting to come for free flights. We had to reg- uh, cut off registration for that. As well as for pilots, we have so many people volunteering their aircraft and their time. So um, that's pretty amazing. We've got a waiting list going. That's great. Awesome. So what's the number? When did you have to cut it off? 
Um, it's over 200. Holy, what did you have last year anyway? I forget. Um, we flew 185 last year that okay. broke the record, but a lot of people are looking at that record and trying to beat it too. So I think we have some good competition out there. Yes. Yes. There's some other, cause there's other events around, not just the uh, country, but actually around the world. There's some worldwide, other events. Yeah. It is a worldwide event. Yeah, that's correct. Some stuff in Canada, some stuff in uh, the UK and England and all kinds of other places. That's cool. And actually, um, I'm supposed to be where there's there's a potential that we're going to be doing a live broadcast, not a, for the Stuck Mike Avcast, but uh, for Women Fly It Forward, we're going to be uh, potentially doing a live video broadcast of the event during the day. So more details to come as that pans out, but that opportunity may be out there for folks interested in tuning in and uh, finding out what the event is about uh, if you can't make it locally. So we look forward to that. Now entering cruise flight. I wanted to you know, I wanted to back up a little bit before we do go forward. Last episode, episode 18, we talked a lot about recurrent flight training and staying proficient. And uh, Rick actually has a couple of uh, quick stories to share about some recent flights that he did pertaining to some uh, you know some recurrency. So uh, yeah. Rick, tell us what you what you've been up to, my well, friend. It was great. I mean, I, I you know the, it was frustrating because the 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 holidays, you know, end of last year. You know, you always you always get to that point, you know, when you're not a professional pilot where you're looking at the days and the weeks in December going, have I had my last flight this year? How many hours am I going to have? You know, there's that thing. We all do that mental calculation. <laughs> I do anyway. I got to believe people do that. And um, so, but December kind of slid by and I had not been uh, up in the plane in a while. Um, and so by the time, I think I got to, I don't know when it was, but it was, it, it was well into this year already. And I uh, the we the weather's been really great in New England, um, and so there was really it was more about scheduling than anything else. So I decided, based you know, we were talking last time, and I thought this is the perfect opportunity. You know, I want to I want to learn, and I want to also feel uh, comfortable and competent. You know, flying, and uh, that you know, a lot of it is still right there, and and uh, but but you never know. And I thought, well, here's an opportunity. So I I booked a flight with um, one of the CFIs where I where I rent uh, the planes I fly, and. Um, it's actually cool because this was a CFI I didn't meet until that day, but it was based on um, sort of availability and also knowledge of the plane. There's sort of certain ones who were, you know, have experience in certain this kind of plane or that kind of plane. Um, so he was available, and uh, it was it was a nice day. And we just, you know, we just it was a it's a Cessna 172 that I was in, um, and the glass panel uh, model, and so uh, and that's the one I've flown a lot. And uh, but we just did pattern, but um, and, and it, you know, it was great. I got to say, I got to sort of raise my hand and go get, you know, get a CFI and go up in the same plane you've been in because you will learn so much. I mean, we just did pattern. And I remember uh, telling somebody almost as soon as we were done, I said, I told him, I said, man, I learned a lot today. And, and, and we weren't doing anything special except, except there were just some subtle tricks, some uh, references to things. I mean, uh, and I can just throw out a few examples, you know, the, the big ones were, um, some real fine tuning of speed management. And I was, I was, you know, essentially like, I think a lot of low time pilots, I was a little, I was just a little hot coming in, uh, in the past. And, uh, um, and, you know, and so the number, you know, the numbers he sort of walked me through again as a refresher were a little different than I'd learned before, not way off, but enough off that, um, that that helped as well as, um, you know, a reminder of, uh, pitch versus power and, and, you know, when to mess with what and, and uh, it was just cool to to be setting, you know, to be setting and holding a speed at each leg of, of the pattern more precisely than I had been. So, you know, and this is all old hat for a lot of people, but I would say there's some people who listen to us who maybe, you know, new, low time pilots who who, you know, could benefit from those kind of little details. Also, you know, flaps in and out and when uh, versus power reduction so that there's so that in the pattern you're not, you know, you're not throwing though you can throw flaps in. You know, there was a place where I was throwing flaps and then power reduction. Um, and so the plane would sort of fight, fight itself a little bit, a little bit of ballooning. And, you know, we flipped that around and it was just way smoother. And I had never, you know, this was just, just something that he, um, he taught me. There was a few things. There was a couple of times we were t taking off and um, he, he, um, he, he reached out, he reached down with us and put his feet on the pedals um, and pumped them a little. And I, you know, I think the first time I was just focusing on what I was doing, but at some point, Either I asked or he told me what he was doing, which was um, this. I know it's just his own thing, but I guess, and you, I don't know if you guys can guess. He was basically tapping the brakes, and we were already say we were three, you know, two hundred or hundred feet up, two hundred feet up, just, and 
I don't know if you would guess what he was doing, but he was stopping the wheels from spinning um, because there was there's sort of an extra buffeting that happens, at least in that Cessna. Does that make sense to you guys? Sure. Yeah. yeah especially so he, if the wheels aren't balanced. Well, yeah. So he would just, you know, he would just go peep, peep and, you know, and then he said, and so he didn't do it once. He said, feel that. And I, and I'd always felt it, but I wasn't sure what they were. And it was, it was just a, that's a small thing. And I, and I'm not going to probably do it because I got enough other stuff I'm going to pay attention to, but I, maybe I will, maybe I'll incorporate that. But, um, so it was just, uh, it was cool. And then, you know, he, we, we worked on holding the nose wheel off longer, which, you know, I tend to not do enough, you know, you know, it just it tends to settle pretty quickly. And so the last time around, um, you know, he helped me pretty much, you know, pop a wheelie down, down the runway for a long way. And it was just very fun. So a lot of learning, a lot of fun. And then I, I think the thing to say is that the, the following weekend was also great. And so knowing that weather was, you know, going to be good, I think it was the following weekend, I booked, um, the plane again alone and went up and soloed and just did all the stuff we did, but by myself, you know, just a, a refresher, me only. Um, and, and it was great though. It was just, it was a great, you know, I was right on, right on where I wanted to be and everything felt good and some great landings. And so anyway, it's just a you know, per perfect example of, of how much fun the refresher and your know, recurrent training can be. Um, and, and I'm going to do it more. So that, that's my story. I guess that's all I have to say about it, except just, you know, to recommend it to everybody. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, that's cool, it was cool. Rick. It was just a blast. There'll be video, you know, I did the video thing and, and not with him. I actually set up the camera, a simple version of my setup and didn't quite, there were some technical issues. So, which is fine. But my solo day, I, I, I got a lot of good stuff just, you know, of pattern, which I do, you know, I, I get a lot of response from kids who want to be pilots or, mm -hmm. or other people who, who want to learn, who, who sort of, it gives them a good sense of some of the basic stuff you do and mm -hmm. anyway yeah so you'll see that stuff eventually on the youtube channel but cool yeah very cool very fun you know rick on on the brakes thing you know on, on a lot of the bigger planes or, or the more advanced planes yeah. they actually apply the brakes for you sure after you take off the the, the so, plane uh, knows to do that yep yeah, yeah that's when cool. you bring them when you bring the wheels up it applies the brakes first mm -hmm. the brakes, yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it was just it was just a funny he had he had these little things that he, so he's doing it for you yeah like to do it was sort of a cool thing and i was like oh cool and, and anyway i i can't there's probably some other stuff that i'm forgetting but but um you know it was uh, it was just cool to be holding some really solid numbers with um with pitch and then and then you know just and then fighting off sync with with the power and stuff it was just very cool so we had, we had a awesome. good time yeah so that's cool. my story and i'm sticking to it all right <laughs> all right i've actually been taught that's a similar trick with the wheels but we did it in uh you know when i was flying the arrow and the seminole similar similar things right tap the brakes stop the wheels from spinning inside the wheel well so right i had actually forgotten about that till you just mentioned <laughs> <laughs> yeah a, you know so anyway good yeah. good reminder cool. there too yeah. very good wonderful wonderful well uh victoria you're um you've got some info or uh some stuff that sort of ties into um, um, the, you know, the same, same thing about recurrency and flight training, some stuff about personal limitations. Uh, tell us, tell us, share your information. I will share with you. Yes. Um, <laughs> pretty much even the most experienced pilots, I think, even have their own limitations. They vary from pilot to pilot. It's very personal, and that's why they call them personal limitations. Um but I, I recall one specific day where I reached my physical limits. Um, it's a time where I knew my body could not handle a flight safely during my commercial training. Um, but I had only two hours of sleep the night before. I had to rush from work to an eye appointment and then back to the airport for this long cross country that had to happen. Um, it was a night cross country. And it was summertime, so it was really late. It means we wouldn't get home till after midnight. Pretty much all I wanted to do was just cancel and go home to bed. But it was crunch time. I had to get my rating done. I didn't want to cancel on my instructor who had like specially arranged this time with me. So when pretty much everyone was telling me and important, most importantly, my body was telling me, you know, to reschedule, I still went. Um, pretty much the whole flight, I was slow to react. I was missing the simplest things that I usually don't. My instructor was uh, gently correcting me from time to time, but it only made me more tired and more stressed to get those corrections. So no more than 20 minutes into this long cross country, I realized I can't do this. Things are just going to get worse. And we turned around and uh, I had a surprisingly good landing on the way back in. Um, but to make me even more upset, I had, you know, a limited amount of money to complete my objectives. And, uh, 
due to my desire to meet these deadlines, I wasted some of that limited money because pretty much at that flight, I learned nothing. We didn't get anything done. Um, well, that's not entirely to... true, though. Yes. Go meaning, for it. meaning that you learn you didn't learn the objectives of the flight lesson, but what did you learn about yourself and pushing your ah, limits and put? Yes. And, you know, see what I'm saying? So tell us. I got you, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely learned what my capabilities were and what it's like when, you know, I do push my body beyond what it was capable of, which was, you know, staying awake. <laughs> Thankfully, my instructor was with me. Right. That's what I was going to say. You were fortunate to be in the presence of an instructor to, if you could, as safely as possible, experience that, you know, exactly. that situation. So, I mean, that's something I know if I ever feel that tired, I am not hopping in an airplane. So, um... Yeah, uh, pretty much what got me thinking about this was um, I read an article by Pam Hale. She's actually a motivational speaker and a pilot. She just wrote a book um, that's a motivational book, but it's taught through learning to fly. And um, she tells you to uh, bring enough fuel for the journey. And um, she has a few little tips and hints I thought I'd share with you. Um, first was checking the weather inside you seeing how you're feeling. Are you up to the flight? Something I should have done that day. Mm. Um, checking your flight time. Are you rushing? Are you prepared to finish the task at hand? You know, what if things don't go as planned? Are you prepared for all that? And then she also mentioned about doing a proper pre-flight, not just on the airplane, but on yourself. Have you fueled yourself for that journey? Have you eaten? Have you had enough water? Something that happens to me a lot. Did you go to the bathroom? <laughs> Um, aside from Pam's great recommendations, there's often uh, an acronym that's used in your training called I'm SAFE. Uh, that stands for illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, and emotion. So go through all those. Make sure those are all where they should be. Um, are any of these going to affect your flight? Uh, so pretty much that got me thinking about, you know, all the various limitations people have in flight. And I kind of was curious about hearing what your guys' limitations was, were, you know, health-wise, um, emotional-wise, and such in the aircraft, if you have any stories you wanted to share. Well, I'd have to say don't don't fly when a dramatic thing happens in your life. Yeah. And I've done, I've done that, and that wasn't the smartest thing. Like if you're, if say you broke up with your wife or spouse or whatever, and and uh, that's that's not a good time to be in the air, and uh, you know, or somebody in the family just passed away, or just any type of emotional stress, bad thing to do. And uh, it's usually afterwards you say to yourself, "Boy, was that the best way to clear my head, or should I've just sat around and watched TV?" Yep. You want your all your focus to be on the flight at hand, not on other things going on. Amen. In your life. Yeah. yeah, that's oh, yeah. a good point. Yeah, I think that's the tr what you. I think that's the trickiest one, and most, maybe the most important one. I mean, it's pretty obvious if you're really sick. You know, you know, you just you don't feel like it. But it's that sort of for me. It's am I focused enough today to do this well and to have fun doing it, um, or you know, have I not had enough prep time? Do I, you know, is there something else that's going to be, feel like it's pulling at me? For me, it's sometimes if my, if my life is so busy with other stuff that I, though I could walk away, I, there's issues that that creates and it's hard for me to, to have fun and be focused on the flight when I know something at home needs my attention or someone needs mm -hmm. my help or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a hard, for me, that's a gray area, but it, it pulls sometimes at me and I, depending on if the weather's amazing and, you know, it's really, there's certain other factors are all good and it's not too bad. It's, it's not that big an issue, but if, if, if they start to add up all of those different, you know, issues and one of them is sort of emotional or focus uh, based, then that, that's a pretty big one to, to pay attention to for me. Yeah. The emotion. Sure. I, I, to be honest with you guys, I wish I could truly remember a situation other than being, you know, uh, physically ill or, um, you know, there's there's occasions where you've had so much fun with friends and you're like, yeah, maybe I'm not feeling so good today. Maybe I shouldn't go flying. But, for, you know, in the last in the last year since I've been an airline pilot, you tend to I tend to do my best to get enough sleep, get the right amount of food and water. Uh, in fact, I joke, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you got all this time at the hotel. I'm like, well, you know, 
to be honest with you, maybe I'm one of the few people that's pretty anal or attentive about making sure I go to bed on time and eating on time and staying healthy for four days because I have 50 lives behind me. Um, but one thing I know, and I, I don't know how Carl feels about my upcoming comment here in a moment, but I know that through just years of experience, you get more comfortable obviously, with being able to separate the flight mission from your personal life and being able to handle tasks in the airplane. Um, I wouldn't put a number to it, but I'd say after 15 years and 4,000 some odd hours, I, there's not a lot that keeps my mind away from flying at this point. What about you, Carl? Well, I, I'd have to say, yes, it, that's very true. But there are times I've, I know once or twice where uh, I couldn't deal with that. As a matter of fact, just to add to this, uh, you know, I'm, I do leaves of absence at, for uh, the airline that I work for. And there are people that just cannot come to work because there True. is something so traumatic that's going on in their life that they can't fly in, nor should they be anywhere near an airplane, nor should they be driving a car even. And uh, that's how upset those, those folks are. But, uh, yes, I'm pretty good now about separate the, separating the two. And I will... Uh, I will call on sick if I have to, if I, if it's that bad. Sure. I really, if it's uh, that traumatic of an event. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I'm not saying that uh, I don't make the right call when the time comes. Is I, I just personally, for you know, the last few years, I can't think of an outstanding moment that comes to mind. Uh, and you know, I think it all depends on uh, and each individual and how you manage life. In general, what's going on in your life, how you manage stress and problems and illness and other things that are going on around you. So, you know, you have to, you, you pretty much know how, how you feel. So if you're being affected, uh, like Victoria said, flying is probably, uh, you know, just put it on, put it on the hold for a day or something, a couple hours, just sit back and make sure you do the right thing. I think yeah. in the end, it's all about taking care of yourself. Right. Emotionally, physically, and then the rest will follow. Sure. Yeah. I, I would also imagine that professional pilots may have a different varying, but various, but different threshold than recreational pilots, just because it, you, you do, you are the training, the years of doing it, whatever. Sure. It's a job, you know, like I, 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 I when I go to work, there are, you are, there aren't people sitting behind me whose lives depend on me, you know, in that same way. And so it's a, it's a bigger deal, but you have been so trained to do it that it mm -hmm. is, that it is your job. Whereas if you're choosing to fly, recreationally you're just making a choice no one's counting on you you haven't agreed to do it for anyone you know it's just your choice there, there may be a different pull on you then you know so you guys probably right. the people who do opt out of flying in your world probably are doing it when there's some pretty serious stuff affecting them i would sure bet. yeah yeah there's all kinds of things i mean the one that i most recently used was fatigue we've talked about that on the, on the show before so um you know yeah. some some of those things come into play and right but um yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's it's all it's self evaluation all the time, you know. The, the, yeah. Evaluating the plane and evaluating yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, pre flight. You know, it's interesting because we've sort of talked about it a few times. Not only pre flighting the airplane, Victoria is basically talking about pre flighting your life. And uh, Rick, you've mentioned a few episodes ago hmm. for other things like you have you bring video equipment in the airplane, you know. Pre-flighting yeah. your equipment, pre-flighting your iPad, pre you just yeah. there's there's everything you have checklists for everything. It's not just the airplane, right? It's not just a pre-flight on the uh, you know on the equipment. It's it's everything. So you know you can pre-flight you know whatever you got going on every every day. Right, it's true. Sort what of, do you do, Rick? That's an analogy. So in, in that in that instance where you have all that equipment, what do you do before you get in to say to yourself? What do you say? Like, hey, if this breaks, I'm not going to let it distract me. Oh yeah, for like, sure. In fact, the story. <laughs> so on the flight with this, this doesn't ever happen to me. But for some reason, on the flight with the CFI, I had only mounted a single forward-facing camera just to capture it, just wide angle, looking forward, and I wasn't going to do any fancy editing, no other angles. And we were on the ground um, taxiing after a landing, and it and the suction released, and it fell off. Not you know, it's inside the plane; it'll <laughs> fall off. But and so I, you know, I, I. I we were taxiing, so I, I grabbed it where it where it sort of had landed. I could grab it, and I just threw it in the back seat. Done, you know, kind of game, came over. And and had that happened in flight, I would have waited till we landed and done that. But um, it it yeah. So you do you you just are ready to walk away from it and say, no, I, I you know that's not important. <laughs> so is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah. Yes, so exactly. yeah, it's important. No, that's a very important thing to say. And when people like 
write me online about how how I do it. It's I, I I try to always say you know fly the airplane and make sure you set it up so you don't ever have to do anything with it, and uh, that's just generally true all the way along. So yeah, I, I I do. It's like a it's like the call out before you know if I. If uh, if I lose my engine after takeoff below a certain altitude, I'm going to land straight ahead. That kind of thing. It's like there is that sort of. If anything happens to the stupid camera stuff, you know who cares? Yeah, or anything. It's interesting. You know, you guys brought that up. There's been times where stuff has come loose in the flight deck during takeoff. I don't know. The most common thing is sometimes somebody's water bottle goes flying or ends up stuck. You know, under the seat or under the rudder pedal or somebody's headset falls off the pedestal or some nonsense. And you know, you're just like. I'm I'm in high speed mode, right. running down this runway. I just rotated. I'm low to the ground. I'm like, I don't have time for that junk. It's <laughs> not important right now. A couple exactly. of minutes from now, I'll take a take a moment and fix whatever the heck just happened. But sure. it ain't important. Ain't you know? It's just not important. No, it's so. like they say about you know, door, a door pops open, just keep flying because that's not yeah. you know what I mean. The, especially unless it's unless it's a gullwing door or you know, a gullwing, <laughs> then you got a different set of problems. But. Uh, Carl and I could talk about doors for days. <laughs> <laughs> the silly things we do when a door pops well, open. Well, I've read a few. Oh. There, there was a couple things I read online. That I think it was on, on that Gene Benson website I mentioned last show about people making decisions about stuff that didn't matter that right. ultimately began a, a chain of events that caused exactly. an accident. And so it is important to say this thing over here is is totally irrelevant. This other thing, you know, all the rest of this is what matters. So it's yeah, important. It becomes a distraction. Yeah, I, I as it's apropos today, we had an equipment failure today, and uh, finally we looked at each other and said, me and the first officer, and said, "Listen, let's not let this distract us. Right. Let's forget. We don't need it. Let's keep moving. Yeah, let's right. not make it worse." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Good point. You know, Victoria, when you said that you were in that situation where you felt compelled to go and you were sort of rushing to, uh, you know, achieve the goal, you had a deadline. We all understand deadlines. One interesting thing that um, I learned through crew resource management is that uh, it's sort of, I don't know if I've mentioned it in a previous show, but it's like the Swiss cheese model um, of cause and effect. And, you know, you, you get so many errors and they line up, basically the holes in the Swiss cheese line up to let the error straight through. And uh, we've had, um, you know, we've had stories of pilots at the airline who are getting rushed and feeling, you know, pushed, too pushed in flight. And they'll, they'll literally say out loud, chain of events, chain of events, you know, just like calm themselves down, like slow down before you put yourself into a situation where you line up a chain of, you know, a series of chains of events that lead to something that could be, uh, you know, harmful or accidental or something like that. So, you know, good thing to ignore the distractions and focus on the airplane. Same thing if you're feeling rushed, just, uh, you know, just an idea. Yeah. Very, very good. So... Cool. Did anybody else? Um, I wasn't sure. We we kind of stole Victoria's limelight here, but um, that, Victoria, that was you... my goal. I wanted to yes. initiate conversation, so I didn't have to blab so much. Oh, see, then why'd you get? Oh my gosh, give me or, flack I'm at the this beginning. Holding this little mic. <laughs> I was right. Just kidding. But just there's kidding. actually one more topic yeah, that go we could go in with uh, personal limitations, and that is weather. Um, you know, it can really vary on the aircraft what the wind can handle. You know, what you can handle in the wind. And, you know, how much of a crosswind your skills can handle. And I know that I do a lot of long cross-country flying, so there's way less, you know, landings than, uh, you know, maybe a training pilot who does pattern work throughout the day. And um, I know my crosswind landings basically suck sometimes, and uh, they need work. And But you guys are landing airplanes all the time. Your crosswind landings may be better. So, you know, that's another thing to look at before you go out. Look at the weather. Um, see if you can handle the wind. Uh, look at if you're current for instruments. Can you handle a uh, instrument approach to minimum? Sure. You know, would you feel comfortable with that if you had to? Are you legally ready to do it as well? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, do you guys have any personal minimums you always stick to that are the no or no-go or go on a flight? Mm. Unless I'm tired or I've been partying. And, of course, I don't party at work because that doesn't make sense. That's counterproductive. But uh, <laughs> just in general, you know, those are sort of my two things. Uh, 
again, I don't know. I, it could be me. It could be my level of comfort and experience. I, I mean, we've all started out with minimums, but now I'm just because of the nature of how often we, I fly in the conditions that we fly in, at least at work. I mean, we fly down to sometimes, uh, you know, a category two ILS, which is a hundred feet uh, above the ground before you may or may not see the runway. You're making a decision at 85 feet off the deck to go around or land the airplane. So just after so much experience, I mean, I don't know. Today, would you do that in a GA aircraft, though? Would you uh, if, do that? Well, <laughs> um, if I haven't flown it in a long time, say for instance that the Cherokee Six, the Six X that I fly, yeah, um, I'd probably be comfortable going down to uh, double the minimums, just because it's a different it's a different glass display than I use at work, and it's a different autopilot. Um, so I would probably do that a couple of times before I got comfortable or at least practice in VMC conditions to make sure I'm comfortable with the automation before I take it that low. So there's an, that, thanks for bringing it up. Actually, that's a good example. So if I, I haven't flown that airplane, I shoot, I fly that maybe once a year if I'm lucky. So, um, you know, I always takes me a couple extra minutes just to get comfortable in the airplane. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just jump in and say that I don't have numbers in my head that I memorize, but when I look at them, I do, there are, you know, there's sort of when for me still, depending on where the wind's out of, you know, when it starts to be in the, in the mid teens, you know, I pay, I pay attention. Uh, I mean, I pay attention all the time, but you know what I mean? That gets my, that gets right. my attention. And then, and then the gust, if there's gusts and what that gust factor is, um, you know, it's just, I want to, I want to I, I get better and th there are some days where if it's just right near that edge, I should probably go up with someone. But often I'll just say, you know what, I don't have to fly and I want to I want to have fun. And especially if I'm going to do pattern, you can learn a lot. But I also, you know, an hour getting hammered <laughs> if it's really gusty is um, is a lot. And so I, I would say I'd probably be careful in, in those kind of, you know, situations. If I'm going to go cross country, if I'm going to if I had planned a trip north where there is some rising terrain around here, then I would be careful about. You know what if there's ceilings and you know if it's not a clear day if you know mm -hmm. if there's clouds I'd, so yeah there's stuff like that that I definitely look at and I but I'd say in terms of you know minimums it probably is it probably is the wind that that really mostly I have to consider yeah in that way that's kind of situational we had an yeah. instance we were going into Raleigh Durham and half the airport was under rain and I'm like well. I can see the runway clearly and we're not getting any turbulence. We're, you know, we're getting rain, but we're not getting turbulence. We're not getting any gusts. And it's like, I, I'm looking at the runway. I see half the airport, the other half of the airport's missing, but you know, we're not experiencing any adverse conditions. So I said to the captain, listen, this isn't my most ideal situation, but um, you know, we've got the runway in sight visually. We can continue if we get to a point where I, where we, obviously if we get a wind shear warning or anything that I don't feel comfortable with, I'm going to tell you, and we're going to not, we're not taking this thing to the ground. So that's kind of a situational where it happened last minute. We weren't, I know I wasn't really expecting that, you know, scenario, but it's like, what do you do? I mean, I can see everything. I'm not getting bounced around. I'm not getting any wind gusts or wind shear. So yeah, it seemed like a safe, know, safe call. Just right. based on the description you have. I mean, safe within your... It right. would, would not be safe for me, but it's totally <laughs> safe for you. <laughs> so, you know, that was sort of That's my cool. decision process in that in that aspect. So, um, But Carl, tell us uh, it, tell us a little bit about something. Well, something, you know, anything. it's, no, it, it's funny because I, I fly a high-wing aircraft, and, and I'm sure a lot of you folks have heard this before, where you figure out how you're going to... If you're going to fly in the weather, especially if it's raining, you stand under the wing, and if you're getting wet, you don't go fly. <laughs> So, in other words, the wind <laughs> right. is strong enough. If right. the wind is blowing the, the rain onto you, it's time to go put it back in the hangar. But uh, so actually, that's not, not a bad bad idea yeah. for most people. If, you know, you asked about setting up the cameras. I'll just throw this in. There's been times where while setting up the cameras, if the plane is moving a lot, you know, I'm in there yeah. and I'm bouncing around and I'm just, you know, we're just parked. I, you know, I go, wait, okay, wait a minute. Let me check this out again. <laughs> so it's very similar, you know. Um, anyway, but I love that rain. That's a good one. Carl, in your scenario, is that like the weather rock at the airport and the sign yes. says if the rock is wet, it's raining. If you can't see it, it's foggy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, No, I tell you what, though, in a, in a smaller airplane, and I'm going to talk about this later, you know, you're, you're a little bit uh, more cognizant of the weather and certain things and, and minimums than I think we are in a, in a say, a twin engine aircraft and uh, having all these backups. And I know 
last time I went flying in a single engine, it was two two airline pilots sitting together, and we look at each other and we say, you know, we're single engine, and this would be a, an emergency where we work, and we're just going to go up into this weather. We should probably think right. about this for right. a second, and mm-hmm. uh, and what's our backup? You know, and think about those kind of things. How's what kind of vacuum systems do I have? You know, I've had uh, you know multiple failures of my attitude indicators, and gosh, you know, how are we going to get out of this alive? And if something does fail, obviously you have some training in that, but still you want to have a backup. So those are, those are the kind of minimums. The equi- like, like Victoria said, the equipment is important. I think, you know, it's what you're flying. Uh, obviously, you know, in, in say a small jet or whatever, or the Hawker that I used to fly, we would go up in just about, you know, anything. But, but even there, you sit there and say to yourself, okay, we're going into icing. And that's it uses a weeping wing. Did I put enough TKS fluid sure. in it? That type of thing. You know, there's there's everybody has those limitations per aircraft and per their skills. I think no matter and it varies with with those skills and with those aircraft and with your currency in those aircraft. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And, and you know, especially the the biggest thing that I see and then actually statistics show it is that crosswind landings get so many people. And that's something that we really, really have to look at and, and say to ourselves, am I ready for this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and should I set my limitation based on that? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for anything with a crosswind landing is you should definitely get a lot of practice with an instructor. Amen. For that's- sure. Those are, I mean, plain and simple. There's just, uh, it's the best way to get in some good time there. But, um, you know, it's interesting, Carl, I don't know about you, but flying a twin engine turbojet uh, at work has given me a whole new appreciation for when I fly in a single engine piston. I think a lot harder about what happens when that spinny thing up front stops. Oh, sure. I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. God. I, I like, I, I, I'm going to say I'm not quite sure how comfortable I am flying a piston single at night anymore. Or over the water, say. I've questioned it. I have questioned it. Yes, or over the water. Yeah, we had that discussion exactly. last week. And, and you know, I know we're all going to seem like wimps here, but yes, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it can be uh, disconcerting. It, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the equipment side of it, um, just a short story, the uh, gentleman with the 6X and a guy I also flight instructed in a, a uh, Cessna 210, depending on each mission, um, you know, the, uh, the gentleman with the 6X, he had a standby alternator installed. He has a standby attitude indicator, which is electrically driven and battery backed up. It's one of those um, battery backup ones. So if we lose any of the screens or the electrical power, it's got battery for an hour. We've got a secondary alternator if we need it. He keeps a handheld radio in the aircraft if we need it. Um, simple things like that, small items like that can also help you make a decision to, you know, I've got a couple of extra things like this. A gentleman in the P in the uh, 210 had standby everything. I mean, he had two of everything on that airplane. However, I have to tell you, he was flying it from here across the North Atlantic to London. So, wow. you know, his, his mission required him to have those things or he may be a meat popsicle in the North Atlantic. So, um, you know, but take those things into account also. If you've, if you can find a way to bring these additional tools with you that will make you safer or give you an out, if you will, if something fails, that would definitely give you that zone of comfort. In a, when we were flying up in Alaska um, these last couple of weeks, we had a 406 GPS ELT. We had a 406 GPS PLB, which is a personal locator beacon. It's a, it's a, it's a pocket-sized ELB, um, ELT about the size of your cell phone. And we had a spot messenger and we had a satellite phone. And that's, you know, in addition to all the survival equipment and gear that we were supposed to have on the aircraft. So, you know, you've got all that stuff and you're like, okay, well, I'm not too afraid necessarily to be pushing the boundaries a little bit or being away from civilization, if if you will, because we we have some of these tools available to us. So that sort of changes your, can change your perspective on personal uh, limitations as well. Just don't forget the batteries. Well, you have to, um, yeah, that's, gosh, you get pre-flight. You bring your flashlight, but if you don't have the batteries. Well, that goes into pre-flighting all the equipment, sort of like we yeah. said earlier. When you have a, you know, an airplane full of stuff, you need to make sure it's working before every flight. And we made sure, you know, I was like, he says to me, gosh, I haven't used this satellite phone in forever. I was like, let's turn it on. Let's make sure it's charged. Let's make sure it works. We're not going to end up, uh, you know, frozen to the ground out here. So, um, but, uh, yeah, just some good recommendations. Excellent. 
That was cool. a lot of good info in there today. Wow. I'm Golly. full of it. You, well, some, <laughs> yeah, something. I don't want to mention it. <laughs> wow. Evil. <laughs> so um, anyway, I am going to take a quick break now for a message from one of our fellow aviators. This is Andy Matthews from iFlight Planner, your integrated flight planner featuring iFlightPlanner.com and iFlightPlanner for iPad. And you're listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Excellent. We're back now. Carl, tell us, uh, you've been up to, you, you've been exploring some new aircraft, as a matter of fact. You've had an opportunity to do some flying in a fancy Cirrus. Tell us about that. Jealous, oh, yeah. Jealous. This was awesome. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. The guy looked at me, and I was getting all excited, and he's like, you're getting excited about this little airplane? I said, I said, man, this is awesome. I don't get to fly new airplanes that much. And and not only that, I'm looking at this thing, and, and it's a Cirrus SR-22 GTS, it says on the tail. I have no idea what that is, but I get up to the aircraft. I know nothing about Cirrus, first of all, and I, these doors, these gullwing doors open up, and I feel like I'm getting into some kind of fancy sports car <laughs> when I walk up to this plane, and when I look inside, what do I see but leather everywhere, and it's, it's stylish. It's curving. It looks like you're, you're wrapping yourself into this airplane when you sit into it. And it's very easy to get into. I had a blast flying this thing. I, it was interesting because instead of just going over all the systems, he said, listen, we'll just go out. I want you to fly it. I want you to land it and see what you think. The biggest, the, the most interesting thing about this airplane and, and the biggest takeaways was it's fast. It's sleek, it's fast, and it's easy. There's no prop control. You just push the power lever or, excuse me, uh, throttle forward, and you're going. It adjusts everything for you. It was kind of odd, too, when we're taking off. You can actually hear the propeller adjust. And then the the other thing is the visibility was phenomenal. The reason, actually, we we went flying that day is we're going out to a friend of his place. Uh, uh, I don't know if anybody knows who James Stewart Jr. is. Uh, Bubba Stewart, he uh, he actually is the world, world motocross champion. He actually won it like five times or something like that. And we're going out to photograph his land out there. It got us out there quickly. And the speed, the power, I compared it to the 182 I fly. It does the same fuel burn, except it goes about <laughs> 30 to 40 knots faster. So Uh-oh, on a you're mile, ruined. I know. Can you tell I'm getting ready to find one of these things? Yeah. <laughs> Rick will I'm go just, have these. I'm oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Sold on this airplane. It's incredible. Except, you know, the one thing I had to get used to is the, the, the toe brakes. You know, you don't, it's a castring nose wheel. Yeah. I guess the SR20, same yeah, thing. Same right? Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have to get used to that. But, you know, I used to teach in Grumman's and Tigers and things like that. So it wasn't too, too bad. And, and uh, I kind of liked it. You know, no linkages. Uh, I thought it was going to start shimming and didn't shimmy. It was perfect. And uh, and boy, that thing uh, you can you can do. I'm sure you could probably do aerobatics in it. I, I'm not sure. It's I don't know if it's certified for that. Um, but it's also the the really cool thing. And I'm not sure if all of them have this. Is an air conditioner. No. And, they, well, I don't know if the 22s. They may all have that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That's... And that that was just in Florida. We put the <laughs> air conditioning on. So we land, and it's the funniest thing. I pop the door open because I always pop the door open when I land in Florida. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and says, "What, what? are you doing?" you doing? I said, dude, it's going to get hot. He says, well, turn the air conditioning on. I was like, wow. oh, man, that's not something I think of in an airplane. Turn the air conditioning on. Not usually. Sweet. No, at all. So it was sweet. All the, all the glass displays, coolest stuff, and it's got this auto level feature. So we did an unusual attitude, and he hit this auto level button. I don't know if that's a proper term, but he hit the button, and boom, an autopilot came on and leveled the wings, lowered the nose. How did you feel that did? Because I've heard about those, but what was your experience? Did it, I mean, did it do a good job? I think it did fine. It 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 wasn't a. It was not as positive as I thought it would be. It was a little slower than I thought it would be. Because it was if it was me flying. It would have boom. I would said, okay, that's it. We're we're level. And but it sure. it did it. It did it properly. It was and, autopilot speed, is what you're saying? Yes, it was definitely autopilot speed. Okay. And uh, but it, it just just a terrific plane and I, I definitely want to go up in it and the only the other things too and, and I again not knowing much about Cirrus I need to research this there's some resistance on and there's there's somewhat of a, a bungee or an attachment between the rudders and the ailerons okay and so during landing uh, he actually looked at me because I was 
saying, hey, what's going on here? He says, just land it like you normally do. Don't worry about breaking anything. So I had to do a crosswind landing. We had about a 14-knot crosswind, and it, was, and it worked fine. I just uh, felt a little resistance. And uh, not knowing enough, again, this was a quick demo flight. He didn't explain to me I'm not going to break anything because I'm so used to having to turn off a, a yaw damper, but in this case I didn't. So, Rick, is that mm. so on the SR-20, they have those kind of like that feel where it's attached to the ailerons? And, well, where you know, you turn, tell me when yeah. I, where I would feel it because it may be. like It's actually if you are, even when you're taxiing, you'll feel it like it. If you move your ailerons into yeah. the wind, mm -hmm. it'll do that with the rudder. It'll actually, it's attached to the rudder. I don't, so. think, it, uh, boy, I don't think it is, but I don't know. Okay. It may be. And if, I, uh, that's not something that we certainly talked about or trained about, and I, I don't know that I felt that, but I, I could be wrong. Because, you know, in like a 172 and all these others, yeah. they're not, not, there's nothing attached to the ailerons right. of the rudder. So I well, don't may, know what maybe that Maybe I just learned to feel that the, maybe the feeling never seemed foreign to me because I started yeah. there. But. I had, this was such a quick flight. It was like a 20-minute intro, and then we had to go do this photo shoot. So I wish I had time to ask this guy all these questions. But I know there's a guy, that, a, a dealer. I'm going to go uh, check that out and see, uh, see what he says, how, you know, what is all, all these systems. So cool. sure our listeners out there know. You know about the uh, about the SR22 and and what that system is. But overall, very impressed. It's sleek. It's fun. It's fast, and I want one. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Well, I know we get some insurance on that. I know. Ride. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know just the person. Oh, who would that be? Uh, I forget oh. her name. Hey. Oh, oh. they're expensive Ooh. though. They and I'm sure they're oh, yeah. expensive. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think they had for for a while there. They had some of the highest premiums because of um, there seemed to be a lot of folks getting into the aircraft, and because of its high speed and its capabilities and its long range and the equipment, um, yeah, there was sort of a lot of accidents and incidents that stemmed from some folks sort of getting beyond their personal abilities. Uh, and I don't know if it's come down now, but there it was... It has. They are dropping. Okay, I good. mean, they're still, you know, it's still up there. You're also got an airplane with a higher haul value. It's not like true. you're insuring a Cessna 150. So that's part of that premium there when you buy, a, you know, almost half a million dollar plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is part of it. So. Yep, yep. But I've, I've got several hours in an SR-22, and I had a blast. It's the most comfortable plane I have ever been in. People, it's amazing. You know, people ask me a lot about the oh. side the side stick, and I think it's er, sort of ergonomically great. You know, your arm's right there, right? Supported on the door. Oh, the yeah. Door, it's right where your, your fist wants to be. There's 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 more lap, uh, you know, for, for kneeboard room. Yeah, there's – I don't know if they all have these, but the one I fly has a – it had instruments right in front of me. You know, the, the, the backup gauges are right down there. It's – I just love that arrangement of everything, you know? So. You know, I have one not negative comment about the airplane is that I'm long-waisted, and for really tall people, <laughs> that means that not wide-waisted. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm that too. You, could, you it couldn't got, get the seat no, far no, It buckled. I didn't need an extender. Yeah. But, the, but, yeah, I mean, my head hit the ceiling. I actually did have to move back a little or recline my seat just wow. slightly. I have that problem in, in most planes I fly, though. I hit the ceiling a lot just because I have short legs and, and long Torso, I guess you could say, right. but I think over six foot tall. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It might yeah. be an issue. I'd like to hear comments on that one. Hmm. For tall people that get an SR22. Are you tall, Rick? Not really. No, five. Of, uh, well, uh, shrinking, <laughs> shrinking every day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say we'll say we'll say five eleven, but that's not actually true. Um, but yeah, no, no problems. I mean, it really didn't ever. That was didn't ever seem like an issue for me. Yeah, I like. The, I have the opposite problem. I never can reach the rudders. <laughs> uh, did you bring your blocks and your uh, and your duct tape? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or your platform shoes, the ones you use. Uh, when the you're ones I used in the pits. That was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> three inch platform shoes. Nice. <laughs> uh, you know, one of my favorite things, uh, Carl. You you mentioned it is the visibility. Just oh. sitting in that Cirrus, that forward visibility. I mean, it's it's a it's sort of similar to being in your car, um, but you just have this huge field of view. It's amazing. Well, it, and it does a nice thing. I mean, I, the the diamonds being being all you know glass above you more right canopies, mm -hmm. they get hot. I mean, the Cirrus it's great visibility, but there's a there's a ceiling there, sure. so it still has that you know sort of feeling that you're you know that you're you're you know, sort of protected or shielded from some of the sun. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the videos I've shot, it's so amazing how great that plane looks. 
in the video. I mean, the 172 looks okay, but it's much darker inside. There's a mm -hmm. higher contrast inside to outside. And in the Cirrus, there's just so much light in there that the light is very evenly lit. And, you know, people ask me how I do that, and it's just the way it looks. And it's because of all that all that light. Yeah, wow. it's, it's a great airplane. I haven't been in one in a long time. So, uh, Rick, you're going to have to take me for a ride soon. Yes. Yes. Carl wants to go for a ride. I want to go for a ride. No problem. Well, actually, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other issue, but I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, no, no, the plane is another issue because the, we're, I'm trying to figure, we're, we're working on how that, the plane I have been flying is going to work. If there's a chance it's going to go offline in the way that I rent it now. And mm -hmm. there may be some new arrangement being set up. So I'm going to have to mm -hmm. see if that fits the wallet, but it's, I love, it's so much fun. And I, and I, you know, I enjoy flying it and it's fun. Yeah, I, you said fast, and I, I think that was the thing I had to learn because I trained in that. That was the first plane I, that was the first plane I trained in, and getting it slowed down in time, you know, just start thinking ahead far enough as a new pilot to begin to slow the thing down because it's really slippery, and uh, it, it was just something I had to get used to, you know, because it's mm -hmm. fun. You just bomb in there, and you're suddenly in the pattern. You know, going <laughs> Dude, way 170 faster. knots exactly. in the like, pattern. Oh, downwind. Maybe I, <laughs> maybe I better uh, pitch up a bit. <laughs> anyway. There, there's got to be a lot of those out there because they're, they're getting to be like Cessnas. I asked the line people about it, right. and they said, I, I said, hey, I'm going in the SR-22. They're like, which one? Oh, wow. I was like, oh, is it that popular? And they're like, yeah, they're just as popular Cessnas out here. Mm -hmm. I was like, really? Cool. Yeah. So there's, there, you know, I guess I don't know enough about that side of the sales side. I don't know how many, I wonder how many are out there now. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I actually asked somebody about getting factory certified to be an instructor in it. It's, it's actually kind of expensive. But uh, I think it'd be worth it if there's that many of those out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a good opportunity for CFIs to uh, want to fly some advanced aircraft to to do that because you do need that certification to instruct in one. So it's good, yeah. something good to have. Cool, cool, wonderful. Well, we have uh, sort of run up to the end of the topic timeline. So does, I'm does that mean we're gonna have to save? The one discussion of Alaska to That's the next right. show. That's right. All the Alaska oh, no. bush flying experiences. Oh, no. that I had beat it to death on Twitter and Facebook for the last few weeks. So, October, so Mar um, March uh, 15th. March 15th. That's when we'll right. get to hear that. Okay, cool. March 15th, which is good because I've got, uh, hopefully, I can have some of the video prepared by then. But um, for the, uh, if you guys um, weren't, who may or may not have been following along, oh, I, I had a vacation. Uh, from work, and I spent nine days up in Alaska um, in February of 2012, learning to fly a Super Cub on skis. And I had flown the airplane on bush wheels previously in August of 2010, so I've, I've done some summer flying, I've done some winter flying now, and I have got some stories to tell you about mm. bush flying. Cool. And some really good tips, actually, that I think may even be beneficial to, uh, you know, conventional aircraft or, you know, just flying in general. So, um, well, yeah, we'll save that for the next show for sure. Cool. Cool. Our picks of the week. All right. So let's hop on over to our picks of the week, the portion of the show where we share an aviation uh, product or service that uh, we, uh, you know, either of us, uh, any of us may have used or seen or found interesting that we want to share with you out there today. So, why don't we, I'll just pick somebody randomly. Go ahead, Victoria. That was very random. I know. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, pick of the week was online single pilot resource management. Um, there's two reasons I chose this one. First, kind of because of everything we've been talking about being, you know, um, pressure in the aircraft and doing your flight reviews, stuff like that. Um, we talk so much about crew resource management, but what about when there's only one person? And this is basically an online program. It's interactive. Um, you take it, I think it said it was with like a 90 minute course approximately, and you get a certificate at the end. And um, they're actually donating five of these um, through a random drawing during Woman of Aviation Week. So if you fly um, one or more ladies during Woman of Aviation Week, you get entered into this drawing to win a free, um, they call it OSRM training course. Um, it has a value of $50. So um, I encourage you to check it out. I haven't tried it yet, but I think it would be a, a good eye-opener to see all the things I could do and improve on when I'm flying solo. Sure. Carl, that's actually something that... Um 
I wanted to spend some time with you offline learning a little bit more for for an upcoming podcast because I think that's important. Going back to our dis- this last discussion of uh, flying advanced aircraft and you're flying by yourself, so single pilot resource management I think is a is a good topic we should we oh, should yeah. visit up uh, you know yes. coming up soon. So we should do you and I have some homework to do, buddy. We sure do. Good. We oh, sure do. Okay, we got a busy schedule. <clears throat> yeah, tell me about it. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Rick, tell us about your pick of the week. Yeah, I, you know, I, there, I was looking for sort of what what stuff that I use a, a lot, and that and some of it's obvious, and I forget about it. And I thought, oh, I know what I'll bring up. And so this is a very specific kind of thing. I don't know how many different platforms this is on, but uh, basically, I want to talk about Zinio, which is the magazine app that a lot of aviation magazines sort of pour themselves into as an easy way to 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 get onto iPads and other other. I'm sure devices certainly. I think it also works on iPhones, and I'm sure all the Android products have Zinio as well. Um, and so I just want to mention Zinio, and I, I subscribe. I get a number of uh, aviation magazines, flyings on there, uh, plane and pilot, and there's a couple others. Um, not all, not the so the AOPA magazines are not on there, but right. uh, quite a few are. And um, and I, in a way, it's it's a stopgap. I'm hoping that everyone will improve their distribute, you know, their their display and their um, you know the the file creation of magazines on these devices can be much better than it is. This is sort of merely a sort of a nicely organized PDF, but but good and gives you know gives you options to zoom to text only if you want to just read the words and don't care about the layout. They have that in there and all that. So um, it's a good way to go, and it's the way you you have to go to get uh, access to these uh, magazines in digital format. So Zinio is the app. Zinio. So that's uh, it's basically an aggregator for like right. you run the app and then the magazines. Uh, and from you... within it, you set up an account, and from within okay. it, you can subscribe to sure. a whole lot of stuff. The it's very interesting. The aviation stuff is lumped in with um, with boating, and mm-hmm. man, there are a lot of boat boating magazines. <laughs> you know, you look at the equation uh, and you realize there's a lot more people that own boats than uh, sure. than are reading about flying. But uh, anyway, so and there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cool options. So once you do. The app, which I'm sure is free, um, I'm pretty sure it's got to be. Yeah, um, I think I've I've seen it. I think you're right. Yeah, the, because the, they're going to make their money off the off the share sales. the subscriptions. Exactly. And um, and I will say that if you already have a subscription and want to convert it, the magazines will let you. I, I've forgotten the process, but and it may involve a phone call, but it, it's possible. So hmm. that's it. How do you Zinio. spell that? Z i n i o. It is okay. Zinio. Wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I mean, I, I know I didn't really get to talk about the Alaska trip, but my pick of the week is related to something that I learned about while I was out there as far as a product. Um, it's pretty cool. It's actually, uh, it's a little device. I shouldn't say a little device, but it's a device that's basically a manufactured piece of stovepipe with some um, ducting that you uh, vent into your engine blanket on the aircraft. And then you open the door on the stovepipe and you insert a camping stove. And voila, you have a preheater, an aircraft engine preheater. So you don't need, you know, you don't need to pay for the FBO. You're operating remotely like in Alaska. I mean, my buddy's got this hangar in the middle of nowhere on this private residence. You know, it's not going to, it's not like he's at an FBO where it's in that heated hangar and they can pull it out or any of that nonsense. So this little device, it's called the Northern Companion. And like I said, it's an aircraft preheater and it's really nifty. It comes all nice in a uh, nylon bag. Um, you just pull out the parts. It's got three extendable legs. So you, you know, you, you put the legs on to give it the stability. You put, uh, the top on that has the ducting and you route the ducting into the engine blanket. And then you take your, any camping stove for that matter. The one we had was an MSR camping stove. In fact, we ran out of camping fuel and we used Lola 110, uh, you know, um, Avgas in it to, uh, preheat the airplane one day. So it will burn Avgas. And, uh, you know, you light the camping stove, you get it running, you insert it. Uh, our conditions, we used it for an hour to preheat the engine roughly every time we did it. And I thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I had no idea something like that existed. And especially for folks operating in remote areas like Alaska, um, just a neat little device it's called the Northern Companion. And it is a portable aircraft preheater. Cool. Very cool. Cool. It is the niftiest thing. So, uh, um, oh, Carl, I gosh, I could almost forgot about Carl. Carl, what's oh, your pick of the nice. week? Well, uh, my pick of the week actually is a movie. And uh, I went out and I watched Red Tails, uh, the movie, the story about the Tuskegee Airmen. And, uh, you know, 
part my ignorance, but I had no idea uh, who the Tuskegee Airmen were until a few years ago uh, while I was instructing. I uh, met somebody on the ramp who said, oh, yeah, I flew for, with the Tuskegee Airmen in, one, in World War II. I said, oh, that's neat. You know, what, what is that? You know, so I started researching it. Well, they just came out with this new movie, and it, it talks about the struggle of the black pilots in World War II. You see, they weren't allowed to actually be involved in any type of air-to-air -air combat. And it was a, it's a story of their struggle to allow the commanders to allow these pilots to go in and actually fight and escort bombers during raids, especially in Germany. And when they finally got the go-ahead to do that, they had an incredible record of kills and also of keeping those bombers safe while they're going in to bomb uh, the fields in World War II. Now, one of the things about this movie is that I got this, this feeling of, I don't know much of the history behind it, but it felt like a kind of Frank Capra-esque type of, you know, old-fashioned movie. The, the, uh, you know, the special effects weren't quite as, quite the Star Wars like you would uh, normally see from a George Lucas film, and that's who, who uh, produced this. But I thought the storyline was terrific, and what was really neat is it's one of the first movies that I went to. And I think I spent almost as much time outside the theater talking to people about the movie as I did in the theater watching it. People actually grabbed me and said, hey, are you an aviator? I actually had my, my flying jacket on mm -hmm. and, uh, and pulled me aside. And we just talked about the movie and, and talked about the Tuskegee Airmen and Tuskegee University. And for those, I know there's a couple of people that listen that, that have gone to Tuskegee University and, and – you know, again, pardon my ignorance, but I didn't. I had no idea about this whole squadron that was put together. But if you want to learn about the squadron, you want to learn a lot about the struggles of the individuals and their individual stories in the squadron. You want to see some great acting. Cuba Gooding Jr. just terrific, and you want to see yeah some cool airplanes. Special effects are just, I think, a little hokey. I'm not sure if that was purposeful or not. But uh, but I thought it was a terrific story about about these these black pilots and how they were able to uh, actually convince the upper uh, echelons to allow them to fly, and uh, I definitely recommend it. And there's a trailer, actually, of the movie on my website mm -hmm. at Expert Aviator if you want to take a look. Cool. cool. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's a great achievement. It's, it's been interesting to see since the movie got released. There's been a lot of chat, like. I don't know. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. It's been just quite a, a lot of mixed reviews, in my observation. Yeah, I, I'd be interested. I should go look at some of those reviews because, well, you know, I love the story. I think that's the part I really, really liked, and I'm so wrapped up in that. What do you, What did you hear, Rick? Well, I just, I mean, I read you, you, there were there were a couple of um, sort of aviation guys who reviewed it. It's you know in detail from an aviation point of view in terms of realism, in terms of the way, like you said, the special effects. Not that they were hokey, but that certain things weren't depicted accurately in terms of the way. You know what what would be happening during an extreme pull or a bank or you know th th there was some stuff that didn't seem real and that that's so inside baseball that I get the perspective. Um, it sort of reminds me years ago. I think on his morning show, David Letterman used to have a dentist who reviewed movies, and his movie reviews were all from the point of view of dental history, <laughs> <laughs> as it relates to that to that you know that particular period, whatever. And it kind of reminded me of that. So I've heard that, um, and I've heard you know. I've heard what is I th I believe I had some experience when I lived in Northern California uh, with um, with George Lucas and his sort of operation there, and my sense of it was that he often doesn't I think doesn't push hard enough to really work on the story, so that there the story's good, but that the script you know is sort of fairly obvious in places. That was some of the other criticism, and that doesn't surprise me because I do think you know. He, there, there isn't maybe enough people challenging him to make it, make things better sometimes. But that said, it's an important story to tell. It's probably I, I haven't seen mm -hmm. it yet, but I'm sure it's you know wonderfully dramatic and big and you know explosive in ways. And so you know, so let's get that story out there. And it, it's not a perfect movie, probably, but it's I bet it was entertaining. And you know, so yeah, but that's the two edges I've heard of is mm -hmm. extreme aviation experts are like you know, well, I wish it was more realistic, and other people saying you know they wish the the dialogue hadn't been quite as hokey. Or something. 
I don't know. I about bet you, the same but... thing probably happens when there's sports movies, and you know, yeah. I, I'm not sure that anything is ever quite factually perfect when it's depicted, right, um, by the media. But yeah, and uh, also it's good, still good, good, story. good, good credit to him from what I've read that he he paid for the movie himself because mm-hmm. the studios wouldn't pay for it, mm-hmm. and um, because it, they didn't think it would sell, and so, you know, that's just a cool thing to do. Yeah. Anyway. Wonderful. Cool. Yeah. I want to go see it. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, shoot. Gosh. We are all out of stuff today, guys. I'm going to have to say goodbye to everybody. Well, everybody's, all the listeners have wasted. Another hour has been wasted by. (laughs) (laughs) Wasted? Ah, it's a joke. I beg. It's a joke. It's a joke. (laughs) The After Landing Checklist. Wonderful. Well, this has been the making of episode (laughs) number 19 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, folks, if you're interested, uh, as always, you can get in touch with uh, the podcast directly at stuckmikeavcast.com. Stuck Mike Avcast is on Twitter and Facebook or via email, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to each and in, uh, you know one of us individually, Carl, tell folks how they can get in touch with you. Well, you can find me at my blog, expertaviator.com, or on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube under the same name, Expert Aviator. Victoria. Uh, you can find me at toriaflies.blogspot.com. All my contact info's there. Wonderful. And uh, Rick? Uh, rotationspeed.com. And uh, YouTube is rdfelty. And Twitter is rfelty. Wonderful. And you guys can reach me, Len Costa, at thepilotreport.com. Also, the Pilot Report on Facebook and Twitter. So, from everybody here, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, Victoria Newville, myself, Len Costa, once again, thank you for listening to episode number 19 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Clear skies and calm winds, everybody. Take care. Go flying, guys. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.